Welcome to the interview chair. My name is Jimmy Casas and I am your host. Are you an educator who is currently feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, or wondering if you can continue to do this work? Visualize yourself back in the interview chair. You are genuine, sincere, and full of passion. You convinced the group of people that you were the best person for the job and you believed it. That is the real you. Thank you for joining me as I take you back to the interview chair to remind you of why you wanted to become an educator. Welcome to episode 19 of the interview chair, addressing underperformance. May is often the time of year when educators are informed that their contracts are not being renewed. In the past few weeks, I've had multiple conversations with educators who have been on both sides of this, both as an evaluator and the one being evaluated. My guess is they didn't begin underperforming in the past few weeks or months. My guess is that these employees have been underperforming for quite some time. But the point is this, in my opinion, no one being evaluated should ever be caught off guard by something that's in their evaluation that they didn't know was already going to be in there. So here's what I want you to think about. Do you have employees right now who are, one, getting defensive when they get their evaluation? Two, maybe they argue or make a comment that it's not true or something in the evaluation is not accurate. Three, do they become emotionally upset or hurt by your comments? Four, do they refuse to sign it? Five, or do they leave without much to say but then write a long email rebuttal later that evening or the next day? Or six, do they file a complaint or even a grievance? And seven, perhaps they get the union involved. If this is a common response when you're doing evaluations, then something's not right with the process. How to respond to people in an organization who are underperforming is one of the biggest challenges facing school leaders today. The ability to successfully have a difficult conversation with an underperforming staff member requires a skill set that many new educators lack when they first go into the profession. I was no exception. I hadn't yet developed this critical ability when I completed my degree. Anyone who has attempted to initiate such conversations can attest to the anxiety and worry that comes from the fear of saying the wrong thing. It feels like with one misstep, these conversations could go sideways in a span of seconds. This worry often leads to both teachers and administrators avoiding these necessary conversations altogether. Decisions are being made every day in school districts across America on how to deal with ineffective staff. It takes a tremendous skill set to navigate these types of performance reviews. And it's even more challenging to do so in a way that doesn't risk resulting in a grievance or litigation. Unfortunately, this leads to closed-door meetings, and even then, school or district leaders can do more harm than good in the way they manage personnel issues. It's clear this is an issue that's worth examining a bit closer. So let's go back to the interview chair for a moment. You're asked how you would address an employee who was underperforming. It is doubtful that any one of us would make the following comment. Well, that teacher needs to go. If she doesn't like kids or they don't do what's best for kids, then she should have retired. Maybe she should retire, right? Well, perhaps the question we should be asking ourselves is, if this teacher has performed her duties at a level most would consider unsatisfactory, 
and in some cases even for years, then why is this employee still employed? The best way, and the only way in my opinion, to move forward is to sit down with any employee and begin discussions regarding their performance. Remember, we may have hired them or we may have inherited them. Either way, it's our problem to deal with. And quite frankly, these people need to be treated fairly. And sitting down with them to bring this matter to their attention, in my opinion, is treating them fairly. We certainly would not reward any teacher by giving them less responsibility but I see this happen often. Oftentimes I see us transferring people to other schools or to other grade levels or to another position within the school. And so now our problem becomes someone else's problem. Changing classes, changing teaching schedules, changing job descriptions, changing buildings, or even offering early retirement in order to get someone to leave is not only inappropriate, in my opinion, but leads to an unhealthy culture. Underperformance by students and staff is going to be an issue, but failing to address underperformance has the potential to become even a bigger one. One reason why underperformance continues to go unchallenged is because, well, you guessed it, we often lack the necessary skills for dealing with students and staff who are not performing at the standard expected. How is this possible? Well, for one, most educators never receive the proper training on addressing poor performance. Think about it. The only in-service training most of us ever received on this topic was from trial and error on the job. Ask any teacher or principal what challenges they face in their work, and I bet that they would rank their students and staff not performing at the standard they expect somewhere near the top. Other concerns like poor attendance, peers' inability to get along with each other, or dishonesty might rank higher, but I would argue that these are actually much easier to address. They often violate school policies or school rules, giving the teacher or the supervisor a known path for recourse. But what about the student who you just can't quite figure out? Because one day they are in class, and the next day they are absent. Or the teacher or the administrator, or secretary, or school bus driver that simply cannot or will not perform the duties required of them at a high level. Complicating matters is that many times these individuals are really nice, making it even more difficult for teachers and supervisors to address legitimate concerns regarding underperformance. We cannot continue to run and hide from potential conflict. By doing so, we become passive participants. Our staff deserves better and we should expect better. We must not allow fear to hold us back. So what can be done when it comes to dealing with students or staff members who are underperforming while investing in our culture? Let's go through a few of these. Number one, what if we were to share our concerns with the individual? You know, people can't fix what they don't know. Everyone deserves an opportunity to respond to concerns about the quality of their work. So I would suggest approaching the conversation in a genuine, caring, and empathetic manner. People respond best when they believe we truly care about them as people first. Again, I'm not saying this is going to solve every issue, but we must start with that foundation. Number two, make feedback more informational than judgmental. Make your approach more about what you saw from your perspective rather than what the person did wrong. Pay attention to your tone, your facial expressions, and body language. It all contributes to how feedback is received. Show that you intend to help. Number three, ask the individual if they agree with your summation. 
Don't make assumptions about why you believe they are not, not meeting expectations. We cannot assume that they are even aware of yours or other people's concerns. Often people are unaware that their performance has fallen below standards. Other times they are aware, but they cannot even tell you how they ended up there. Number four, give the individual an opportunity to respond to your concerns. In some instances, the person may apologize and promise to improve their performance immediately. Others may appear to be caught off guard and respond in a defensive manner. In such cases, be fair by giving them time to process what you have shared and schedule another time to continue the conversation. In other words, we don't need to fix it or address it in that moment. We've brought it to their attention. Give the individual some time to process it. In my experiences, they often end up responding more appropriately. Number five. Provide, I should say, specific ways to improve. This is most helpful to the individual who wants to improve the quality of their work, but may be lacking the necessary skills to do so. It's not enough to just tell them they need to get better. Number six, model the level of performance you expect. Once you have told the individual what they need to do to raise their level of performance, show them what excellence looks like. Provide a model so they can see it before you expect them to replicate it. Number seven, provide ongoing support. It's imperative that we invest in our students and employees by providing ongoing coaching in order for them to be inspired to improve their performance. This can be done by you, your peers, a mentor, a colleague, or even an outside resource. Number eight, offer ongoing support, resources, and encouragement. Don't assume that just because you, because you follow the steps that I mentioned in number seven, that they will be able to maintain their new performance. All of us, all of us, my friends, are prone to falling back to average or below average if we do not have a system in place to monitor and support our continued growth. Number nine, follow up by checking in on a regular basis. Continue to invest in your students and staff by creating experiences in which your interactions with them go beyond the surface and become more meaningful and more personal. Your time together should benefit both of you, and you should come to understand that they need to thrive in their work. Fostering trusting relationships with your students and staff allows you to set expectations even higher. Number 10, be clear now moving forward in your expectations. Every individual must know what is expected of them in order to grow and develop in their role and to maximize their potential. It is on us as teachers and leaders to be more clear and to be more concise when it comes to our expectations. Number 11, recognize and applaud the efforts of students and staff on a personal and more consistent basis. After all, we know that people who feel valued and appreciated will always do more than what is expected. But we must be also willing to address our class, our team, when their efforts slip below the standard that we expect. It is our duty and our obligation to do so. And number 12, always, always have an exit plan. In other words, if you are still concerned that a discussion may be contentious, or you are nervous that you may say the wrong thing, then be prepared to remove yourself from the conversation in a sincere and apologetic way. When it comes to having difficult conversations, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just own your mistakes, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. Try that the next time you have to have a difficult conversation and it doesn't quite go the way you anticipated. You still may fall short of resolving the issue, 
but you will be well on your way to developing your skill set for addressing the behaviors that are hurting your culture. Remember, having complex conversations is a skill, and when we avoid those conversations, then we're not developing that skill. So, the only way we can get better at it? You guessed it. We gotta keep having those conversations. Both students and staff want to know that we care about them. We cannot continue to accept substandard performances from our students, support staff, or our teachers, but more importantly, as supervisors and principals, we cannot accept sub substandard performances from ourselves either. We must always return to the basic premise that it all begins with relationships and the amount of time we are investing in getting to know our students and staff on a more personal level. When we do not have a personal relationship with those who are underperforming in our organizations, we are going to struggle to manage these conversations effectively. Finally, it is imperative that we live by the same mantra that every student and staff member deserves to be treated fairly and to believe that we care about them. We must be hyper-vigilant not to give harsher penalties to some students or some staff because they have a history of poor behavior or performance. Or quite frankly, we just do not get along with them. So, if you want to hold yourself to the highest of standards and integrity, then ask yourself this critical question. Would you follow the same steps I listed above if you had a history with the individual that wasn't positive? That's the real question. My friends, it is time to recalibrate. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And I hope that you will join me each week as I take you back to the interview chair. Because I know this, that when you sat in that interview chair, that, my friends, was the best version of you. Be sure to check out my website at jimmycostas.com backslash the interview chair for links, resources, and show notes. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Casas underscore Jimmy. If you enjoyed today's show from the interview chair, subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast to ensure you never miss an episode.